This podcast is brought to you by BeatStars, the number one marketplace to buy and sell beats. In this episode, our host DJ Payne One speaks with music producer Callan and Sony Music Publishing A&R Will Skalmoski about publishing deals for producers. To our pro page users, don't forget to check out our opportunities and challenges on BeatStars World for a chance to work with some of the industry's best creators. If you're not a pro page member, but would like to try it out, use the code PODCAST for a 30-day free trial. And of course, don't forget to leave us a five-star review. Enjoy the show. Push the button. I can't stop anything. Um, what's going down, everyone? This is still the Beat Star Summit. My name is DJ Payne. One, I'm joined by two very special guests. I know we talked about the legal side of the uh, music business, especially as it relates to producers. During the last session, a lot of that's going to spill over to today's conversation. Um, I think publishing is one of the most misunderstood topics in the music business. Period, and so I'm I, I'm really fortunate to bring this conversation to you with the level of expertise that's present in this conversation. So um, before I, before I continue, I just want to remind everyone beatstars.world forward slash summit is where you rewatch all of the uh, videos and sessions from, from the summit. Um, In addition to that, there are a lot of other um, resources on beatstars.world. For example, um, racial justice initiatives, the music entrepreneur club, um, the Sony ATV admin option and, and uh, distribution as well. So today we're going to dive right into the Sony ATV uh, admin and we're going to talk all about publishing. And this is another one of those streams where it's probably going to be information dense. So feel free to ask questions throughout. This is an interactive session. Uh, and I also want to... Um, let encourage everyone to continue networking uh, in in the uh, chat as well. So, kick things off. Um, we have Will Skalmowski. Skalmowski. <laughs> I practice this, and we have Callan, uh, who just goes by Callan. Um, Will is from Sony ATV Publishing. If you don't know Callan, I maybe you don't listen to rap now. Um, He's charting on the on the Billboard right now. Uh, the Blueberry Fago track for Lil Mosey is probably one of my favorite beats to come out in the last five years. I'm just saying that personally. Um, obviously, I want to talk a little bit about that with him, even though that's not the topic of, of the conversation. But um, let's let's get right into um, publishing in a minute. First of all, I want you both to shout out your social media so people can follow you and, and make sure they're staying up to date on everything you're doing. So, um, Callan, he's a Billboard charting, char- chart-topping producer. As I said, his current hit is Blueberry Fago. Um, I think the beat just by itself is is awesome. If there's if you can listen to an instrumental version on, on YouTube, that's really all you need. How do people follow you and find more information out about you? So, uh, first and foremost, go follow me on YouTube. Just look up Callan and, like, Beats, and you'll find me there. And then if you're trying to hit me on Instagram, my Instagram is one Callan. One is in my name, C-A-L-L-A-N. Really and then... Just hit me on Instagram. 
Okay, he's he's modern. He's younger than most of us. Most of us have the Twitter and the Facebook, but I don't even bring Facebook up around people who are under the age of 24 nowadays because they just laugh. Um, so, Will, how do people follow you? Uh, my Instagram is at Willie Scal, W-I-L-L-Y-S-K-A-L. Um, I'm what, Will Skalmoski. People haven't called me Willie since high school, but, you know, the Instagram handle stays. So, <laughs> I mean, it makes you a little less intimidating, too. <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, like Will Skalmoski is this really serious uh, publishing dude, but Willie, Willie is approachable. Anyway, um, I want to start with a very general but hopefully informative uh, question which is simply what is publishing yeah i mean i'll i'll follow Callan. you want to want to say uh want to lead it off and i'll and i'll fill in the, the nitty-gritty yeah okay i'll start with it so from my understanding basically publishing is like an organization or a means of collecting like royalties and like money that you have out there. You just don't have a means to collect. So that's kind of how I understand it. Like all the nitty gritty and the details, like I'm still new to this. So I'm trying to wrap my head around that and like continue learning. Yeah. And and that's exactly what it is. It's, it's collecting royalties from all over the world. Um, when in publishing there, there are a couple of different revenue streams. One is the, one is the mechanical, which is basically like when a when a recording is made and created and a license is taken out um, to use that to use that song, that's the mechanical royalty. And on the performance side, like Callan's song was no, number one at radio uh, on rhythmic radio a few weeks ago. That's all performance income. So we collect those two for Callan, um, but also we have we have a creative relationship as well, where it's you know the the two of us are, are talking, you know, uh, nearly every day about, about placing beats, about sessions, about, um, you know, all that, all that stuff, because that's, that's kind of a, the main thing. And then, you know, when, whenever Blueberry Fago is used for a commercial or a video game or a, um, or a TV show or a movie, um, that's, there's a publishing revenue stream in that as well. And we help Callan negotiate that and get the best rate for himself. So what royalty streams fall under the publishing umbrella? Uh, well, there's the mechanical uh, royalty in publishing. There's the performance royalty. Then there's the sync royalty. Um, and the sync is, is what I was talking about with, with film, TV, ad, add stuff all, all of that comes in um and those are those are the smallest components where you know a like a radio play is an example of public performance um and a stream is actually a, a unique one because it's a blend of of uh, mechanical and performance so there's so streams youtube streams all go into can all be collected on um on a on a publishing um, royalty. So I think that's a really, really, really confusing point because these days streaming is so dominant, especially for unsigned artists and independent artists who aren't getting radio play and a stream can generate, I believe up to five different 
royalty streams. I mean, one would be sound exchange. One, if it's non-interactive, one could be the master, um, which doesn't have anything to do with the publishing. Um, mm-hmm. Then you have the mechanical, and you have the um, uh, performance royalty, and then I'm missing one other. Maybe I'm not. I don't know. It's a it's a very convoluted system because, as we discussed in the last panel, um, there are so many different agencies that collect each of these different um, royalty streams. And with publishing, with the master, it's it's a little more straightforward because you can just collect that directly from your distributor. With something like a mechanical, how does one go about collecting that royalty? Um, the best the best place to collect your mechanical royalty is really a a, a publishing admin agreement. Um, it's really the the best way to do it, um, and. I, th- I think it's it's really important to um, to look out for that because you know that's that's not something that um, you necessarily think of, especially if you're the artist, especially if you're releasing your own music. You see that filter in on the um, on the see that filter in on the master's side, but with publishing, um, that's that's something that could be sitting out there and you know waiting for you to to dip into. And on the performance side, if if paying one, I can go I can go right into that. That's that's a that's a combined um, collection of your your publishing admin and also your performing rights society. So um, BMI, ASCAP, um, GMR, um, CSAC, all all of those uh, societies in whatever country you're in. If you're in Germany, you, you go through Gamma. If you're in the UK, you go through PRS. So here's a question that really confuses a lot of producers simply because we kind of consider ourselves producers, not songwriters. Mm-hmm. Callan, are you a songwriter in a, in a legal sense? In a legal sense? I think so, yeah, from ASCAP. So I think I'm both like a songwriter. There's another one I forgot the name of. But yeah, I think I'm legally a songwriter even though I don't write songs, literally. Yeah, yeah you're a full songwriter. So why why do you think there's so much confusion about whether or not a producer is considered a, a songwriter, and how do you kind of explain that point to, you know, because for me, as someone, and I'm sure for Callan too, we get into these conversations where we'll issue, a, whether it's a lease agreement, usually it's a lease agreement to an unsigned rapper or singer, and they'll say, wait, why are you getting a percentage of the writer's share? You didn't write any of the, the lyrics. Well, I think I think a, a song is, of course, like me, like melody, chords. Uh, it's the full thing. You know, if you, if you contribute to the song in, in any way, which is, you know, if, if you're building the track out like like Alan did, you know that the uh, for Blueberry Fago, that's that's you're a songwriter. You wrote as much of the, you composed as much of the song as Lil Mosey at that point, you know. Um, so I think I think that's important to note for all all the producers. Like, yes, when you go on Spotify credits, there's a songwriter section and a producer section, or the Billboard charts, like songwriters, producers. They're right next to each other, but if you if you help compose that track, you have a right to the publishing. 
And I believe so. Billboard releases a list of their their top um, producers and songwriters at the moment. I believe, Callan, you made that list recently, or, or I think I saw it. Weren't you on that list? Yeah, I think I've been on that list for like a couple weeks now. Yeah. yeah, well, congratulations because that's an amazing list to be on. That means uh, a song that you produce is doing really, really freaking well. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. I uh, have another question that's that's related. So I'm trying to go from like one related thing to another. So what is the difference? And this is another difference that uh, or distinction that trips a lot of people up. What's what's the difference between a writer and a publisher? Well, I, well, I, I'm a I'm a publisher, and I I don't write a, write a song at all. You know, I, that's I a publisher is is really responsible for registering and protecting and collecting on your rights, and a, a songwriter is is the per, is the creator of the the, the person that um, generates that copyright is the songwriter. So when you sign up to say ASCAP, they ask you to sign up as both a, a writer and a publisher, correct? Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. And you create your publishing entity on the, for the PRO. So that's something that a lot of people don't necessarily understand. So when, when you're splitting the publishing, how does, so, so, okay. I'm just starting out, right? I'm just make. I, I just started as a rapper. I sign up to ASCAP or, or you know whatever PRO I choose. I'm I'm a writer because I write the songs, but I'm also a publisher. I don't really fully understand why I'm a publisher, and then what happens when it comes time to register a song with my PRO? How do I, how do I work around that as a as both a publisher and a writer? Because now now suddenly I'm two things at once. How does that work? Um, you, so I guess, I guess uh, the, the question is how, when you're registering your works in, with a PRO, how, how do you do it? That's. Yeah. As both a writer and a publisher. Is both a writer and a publisher through the PRO system, um, on, on our end, uh, through, through Sony TV, our admin department handles that side of side of things. Um, they make sure there, there are a lot of, there's, there's a lot to untangle, especially when you're dealing with, with it, with the PRO system. And we have a amazing staff, um, based in Nashville that, that really locks into, into making sure not only you're right within the Sony ATV system, but in the uh, BMI and ASCAP system as well, and that's it's a it's a difficult thing because you know sometimes somebody else you, you know you did a song with somebody right and they you know they registered it on their uh, with their PRO and the the split's wrong or something like that. So when so when you have to go into that, that's that's something where it where it really helps to. Um, you know, keep, keep up relationships with your co-creators. So when you're registering a song, it's not only you, the entity that, um, that wrote the song and that's your copyright and your intellectual property, 
but you also have your publishing company, which you can set up through ASCAP or BMI that, that is, that is paid and registered along with, with, uh, with your person on BMI and ASCAP. I think for a lot of us, we're, we're confused as artists, as creators or whatever, we're confused as to why we, you know, before we sign up for Sony ATV, um, admin or something when we're just, you know, kind of by ourselves, why we have to sign up as both a writer and a publisher. Mm -hmm. If, you know, all we're doing is making music. Why do we have to be, you know, self published? Is there some kind of historical precedent in the music business that, that kind of made, you know, musicians become publishers just to collect their, their, uh, royalties? You know, uh, I, there, there is, um, with the PROs, there is a, a consent decree, which gives them, um, the, the power to, um, collect performance royalties on behalf of songwriters. And that's actually a, a government thing. It's, it's something that our, um, our legal department has knows very well. Um, and, but as far as historically, um, the, you know, that, that kind of stipulation, that, that'd be a really good question for an a, attorney um, at what point that, that came into effect and how it continues to influence what's going on today. So just to be clear, Callan, you are signed to a publishing deal, correct? Yeah. Yeah, I'm signed and that's, with Sony and Electric Field. Is with Sony and what else? Electric Field. Okay. Um, what is a publishing deal? What is a publishing deal? Um, well, I mean, there's a lot that goes into it. I don't really know where to start, but the way I see it is that the label sees like a monetary value that you could provide to them. And at the same time, you can get like an advance of money from them. And so really both parties, I think, eat and work well together to both win. It's how I'm seeing it right now. So from the perspective of a publisher, I'm, I'm so happy that we have a publisher and we have a, an artist mm-hmm. signed to a publisher. So, so it's, it's, you know, normally you only hear one side. We're hearing both now. So thank you, guys. Um, from your perspective, Will, as a publisher, what is a publishing deal? A publishing deal is a um, songwriting agreement. It's um, we are we are working fully aligned um, to develop Callan as a songwriter. And again, and to clarify, songwriting a songwriter and producer in this case are virtually the same thing. You know, it's it's uh, it is a very important thing because um, you know. As as an artist, like you 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 sign to a record label, you're you know full you're you're marketed that way. Um, you're um, very active. You're very active on marketing yourself and putting complete projects together and marketing those. And the equivalent for for a songwriter, um, a producer, is a publishing deal. And for me, for me, it's the beginning of. Um, working side by side with a songwriter and elevating their career step by step. Um, 
especially on the creative side. And again, that means for, for us, for me and Callan, that means sessions. It means, uh, beat placements. It means co-production stuff. It means making, it means making Callan the best possible songwriter, you know, and continuing to expand his relationships in that space. So then with, with, um, the partnership between BeatStars and Sony ATV, what you're offering is publishing administration. Yes. Um, and, and this is something that's really, really revolutionary. I don't think any platform has any, has ever offered this kind of partnership with a, a major publisher. Um, so what is the difference between a publishing deal and a publishing administration deal? Um, so a, a publishing administration deal uh, at the at the core, what the di- the main difference is here is the on the admin side, it is our primary responsibility to collect your royalties, and that's that's in both in both um, that's in both uh, pu- both publishing deals and publishing admin deals. But with admin, it's a pure collection thing. So wh- whereas you know, a big part of what Callan, what Callan and I are doing is is speaking every day about you know opportunities in in uh, in that space. The the admin side is it's a little bit more more uh, you know free flowing. Basically, it's it's a, it's a collection based thing, and um, I think it's it's really great because what's important is for people to for all of you to really keep your royalties together and straight and make sure your songs are registered. And that's the core of what publishing admin is. Um, so I guess, uh, so I guess that's, that's kind of the, the gist of it. So say, you know, there's a producer who's pretty active on beat stars. They have a lot of music that they've, a lot of beats that they've licensed. A lot of artists across the, the globe have, created songs out of them, published them. Um, the last conversation we had with Carl folks, we had to kind of come to these somewhat frustrating conclusions, which is, you know, like it's really hard as an individual producer to collect mechanical royalties on their own. It's Mm -hmm. nearly impossible actually. And it's nearly impossible for a, a producer in the United States to collect, um, performance royalties in a lot of these foreign territories as well. What are what are some benefits of signing up for the BeatStar Sony ATV Publishing admin? Um, number one, it's it's money that's yours that's been waiting to be collected. You did the work, you know. Now it's time to go get every cent that you deserve out of it. Um, another benefit that is that is really key is um, protecting your splits. So if you haven't had the conversation with your collaborators and co-creators of your songs, it's really important to, to divide your song up into per- percentages. Um, for, if you have, if you wrote the beat completely yourself and then somebody rapped on it, you know, it's the two of you. So you would split the song 50, 50. And what, what happens a lot of times is, you know, I've seen, especially with, with uh, creators on beat stars is when the artist gets your beat, they think it's theirs for the taking. And, you know, that they, they kept, they keep a hundred percent of that publishing 
Um, so I think it's really important that you, that you honor yourselves as songwriters, determine your splits and collect on that. And again, the, the partnership between BeatStars and Sony allows you to do that. And I'd say the, the third most important thing that, um, that you get out, that you get out of this is that, you know, where BeatStars and, and Sony ATV are, are absolutely, um, aligned in making this community the, the best it can be. Um, so with, so with that, we want to engage with you. We want to hear from you. We want to know what you're up to, um, and be able to help every step of the way and, uh, continue to provide a structure and runway, um, for all that's to come for you guys and girls. That's a girl. So here's a, here's a question for Callan. Cause you're in spite of, you know, being a, a, you know, platinum producer, and, you know, having a, a hit record out, you're still working through BeatStars to license beat, license beats online. Um, how do these conversations now happen when you know a, a artist, recording artist, licenses your beat, and it's time to determine splits or talk to them about royalties and points and all that other stuff that that isn't always an easy conversation to have, especially if the person licensing your music doesn't really know that much about the music business. I would say, I mean, honestly, now that I'm platinum, people come at me different. Like they'll hit me and say like, Oh bro, I just recorded on your beat. Like let's split 50, 50. When I first started though, that wasn't really the case. People didn't really contact me or like pay any respect like that. So I think that's one benefit of signing with a publisher or just like, some sort of publishing agreement, whether that's online or with Sony or something, because they can actually do that for you and help you negotiate those splits. Because for me, it's like it's taxing mentally to have to argue with somebody for like an hour about, you know, I get 50 percent of this or they get, you know. So it, it, it is what it is. Like, it's honestly tough when you start to really get anything to happen. So now that you that you did sign a, a major publishing deal, what do you what do you do in those situations? I mean, you just report the song to to Sony and they automatically collect on them. Pretty much, yeah. Like now, I got a team around me of people that they have eyes and ears, so they're looking around for stuff that I produced, and they'll be like, "Oh, you made this beat. Like we're gonna, you know, charge this amount for the beat up front, and then we're gonna do this other stuff to help you get the best deal you can." Versus beforehand, like I didn't have any of that. I couldn't do that. So when, at what point in your career, uh, Callan, did you start getting offers for publishing deals? I would say like once Blueberry Fago, like once it got leaked and it started going up on the leak, is when I started getting hit up by like A and Rs and different people asking about publishing deals, just because they saw that I was going viral. So at that point is when I started getting getting noticed like that. But up until then, when I was making beats on YouTube just selling beats and I was getting decent numbers and whatnot, but I wasn't really getting any deals. Really what made the difference was getting a viral hit. Were, I guess I shouldn't ask what most of the deals were like, but what made you choose Sony ATV or over all the other deals that you were offered? Well, I mean, Sony's the biggest publisher and they got a really good roster. And like, I met Will in person, like in California the first time. And I liked him and I liked the vibes of, you know, that they had going and we had a good conversation and I just felt good about the decision. So I ended up rolling with them. 
Yeah, I think my audio went out. I can't hear anything anymore. Oh my! No, that was me. My bad. Um, so so when you signed that deal, what were some of the things that they offered you? Was there upfront money? What what were the services that they offered you? Obviously, royalty collection, but you know what else? What else did they offer you that made that deal really appealing? And, and what should other producers likely expect from that deal? I guess this is a, a question for both of you, but I'm curious to hear your experience. Okay, so yeah. So like, I, most people probably know this, but you get offered an advance first of like a decent amount of money. You could really, depending on what kind of deal you want to sign, you could do like a smaller deal with a smaller term, or you could do a larger deal with a larger term. It really depends on what's best for you. And like you know, what songs you produced and whatnot. Um, but yeah, could you repeat the question one more time? Like the last part. Yeah. So what? I guess so. You already said they paid you up front. Um, what other benefits? What other services did they offer you that made oh, you think right. this is the yeah. right deal for me? Yeah. So basically, they offer to help plug you in with different artists and producers that like normally you wouldn't have any way of getting a hold of. Like if I were to DM like. Like Mike Will, like I'm not saying I'm gonna work with Mike Will, but if I were to DM him right now, like he'd probably never see it. Versus like now that I have a team around me and people that actually have those connections, like I could be able to get in the studio with Mike Will more realistically now. So it basically just opens the door to all these connections that you wouldn't have otherwise have. So then, um, Will, this was an interesting question, a very timely question. Um, someone asked how you're able to still facilitate collaboration between say Callan and another writer on the Sony roster during the, the, the times of the pandemic. How did, how does that work nowadays? Sure. I mean, a lot of, a lot of people are working on zoom and FaceTime. Um, you know, it's, it's really an individual choice. Um, you know, how, how you work, but people are, people are doing it, um, however they can. Um, I think that's a really great thing for, for this community to know because, look, all of, all of you know how to, to move on the Internet. Like, all of you know how to tap into to work your beat stars into YouTube and your Instagram. And all of that is so crucial because, you know, we like I can like Callan, Callan and I connect over people over text. They, they hop on Zoom like people, you know can't they become friends and they trust each other people will pull up to Callan or he'll pull up to other people and that that can work too but especially like when you're starting from this place where we've got a difficult situation going on in the world like stay like being super active and plugged in with with your account with with beat stars and also everything else you can do to market yourself it's never been more important really it, it never has so um so keep going. So, so here's a here's a good timely question from uh, Triple Titan. He says, uh, actually, they say I don't know the gender. At what point in a producer's career is a good time to sign up with a publisher like Sony ATV? Do you need a certain following to be accepted? I guess that's a good question with regard to the d- distinction between admin and, and traditional publishing deals. Sure. Uh, so I think, I think basically something that, that we're trying, that, that we're working with BeatStars to create is basically an infrastructure 
you know, whenever you need it, basically. Like you can sign up when you sign up for BeatStars for free, uh, BeatStars Publishing for free. Every time a song comes out, you can throw it in there, you know, whether there's no right or wrong time. And basically we want you to know that it's, that it's available to you and, and there's going to be a structure for you to get your publishing royalties back in your pocket. Um, as far as signing a, signing a wider agreement that comes, you know, with more, with a more extended term, like Callan alluded to, um, there, there's a right, there's a right time for, for everybody. It depends on a mixture, mixture of things. A relationship's important, um, as Callan said, and also, um, when you have catalog to collect on, um, that's an important thing. And by catalog, I mean a, a bunch of, uh, a, quite a few cuts that are out there, um, to collect on. So I think, I think all that, all that timing, you know, it's, it's all goes hand in hand and it's really a mixture of things. So here's another question, and this is for, this is for both of you. Um, I'm sure people would really appreciate Callan's perspective. But what is this is from? Uh, I'll just post it here. Matt Blanco beats. How can a producer position themselves to be a value for? Well, he's saying a pub admin deal, and you kind of said it really doesn't matter at that point. You're just kind of building and hoping to collect. Um, but how, how in general can a producer position themselves to be a value for a, a publishing company such as Sony? Uh, so for, so for us, I think, um, it, I, I think the, the the main, the main thing is, um, it all comes back to really work it, working your butt off and, um, and building a connection, building connections for yourself, hustling for placements, um, refining your craft over and over like uh, like i I'd, i'm interested to know Callan, like how many beats did you make did you make before you made the the one that that really hit for you probably thousands honestly like, i just made beats every single day i didn't i didn't really think about it too hard i just enjoyed doing it so i just kept making beats every day and then just found a sound that i really liked and kind of built that so now, like, when, you know, when people think of Callum, they think of a specific sound. Like, they're not thinking of, oh, he just does this or that, you know. So I would say, yeah, like, developing your craft, like, honing in on a particular sound that you like, and then also getting cuts with that sound is going to put you in the best position to be noticed. Yeah, let's, so some people want to know about Callum's journey. Um, when, did you, when did you start making beats, and when did it become your career? So I started maybe like three, four years ago. I was like a freshman in college, just messing around with the program. Um, then I started posting on YouTube probably within that year. And like after being on YouTube for like two solid years, posting pretty much every single day, like I eventually got like noticed in Seattle where I'm from. And then people started to take notice in L.A. Then that kind of just branched off from there. And then that's that's really when shit started popping off is when like, everyone was tapping in so yeah it took a while it took me maybe like three four years but i feel like that's about the length of time you need to succeed in anything you got to put at least a couple years into it well <laughs> shout out to whoever was behind you trying not to get on the camera that was amazing whatever they just did they did a great job um what 
<laughs> what was your What was your first major placement that really, you know, started showing you that it was possible to do this um, in, in a professional capacity, not just as a hobby? First major placement. First major placement I got was with uh, this artist Xavier Weeks from Seattle. It was kind of like a song on SoundCloud. He picked up my beat from YouTube, and then someone sent me the song, and it had like a million plays already on SoundCloud. I was like, okay, like this is going somewhere. And then the song just kept going up, like as an underground song. And then that was really the first time that, or that was the first song that kind of certified me. Because then at that point, everyone in Seattle was like, oh, who's Callan? Like, he just made this. So then people started reaching out, and then that kind of helped me land the Mosey cut, which was the real big thing that helped me take off. But yeah, besides that, like, I've worked with SOB. I got some songs with Tekka that are unreleased. Like, just random things here and there. But... Yeah, that, like I'd say that Xavier song was the first song to like kind of put me on the map, and then after that, it just kept growing. Okay, so how long did it take? Well, actually, let me ask a different question, just more generally. Mm-hmm. I know that the you you alluded to the Lil Mosey record getting leaked. Yeah, and oftentimes, you know, I've had rec- major records get leaked, and I'm like, damn, this is horrible because it didn't come out on anything. Some they just threw it out there. It might not have even been the final mixed or mastered version. This I'm probably gonna lose this placement because of it. The opposite happened to you. It leaked and then it became a hit record. So what what was the timeline like? What was the process like? How did you get the track to him? And then how did the leak become a, a huge opportunity? So basically, like I knew I said this in my genius interview. I kind of explained it more in depth there. But basically, I had an engineer connection in Seattle. Mosey slid to his house. He needed beats. I sent some beats through, and he just hopped on it. It was pretty simple. And then I got the song back the next day. I was super excited. And then probably a week after that, like the engineer sent me a link. He was like, "Bro, our song got leaked." And I was like, "Man!" Like so, I, I was just I was tripping at that point. And it probably took a whole, like, close to a whole year of the song just gathering plays before I thought it would actually drop. For the longest time, I thought it was not going to drop. And so I kind of just waited on it, saw the plays going up, and it started looking better at that point. But I guess all in all, I'd describe it as, like, a mixture of the song being fire and just pure luck, to be honest. So it took some... You had to wait a whole damn year for a label to actually make a move on, on making that record official? Pretty much, yeah. Like, that was stressful, I'm not going to lie. But it, it all worked out then. It's, isn't it crazy, too, because, and let me ask you this, because you've been online, you've been, you know, selling beats through BeatStars. Um, that's a way different process than a major label placement. With a major label placement, as you said, you waited a whole year and you had no idea what was going on. It's different from just getting a BeatStars notification that you made a beat sale and you got money for it immediately mm-hmm. would you say the fact that you were still with beat stars and still licensing beats in the meantime helped you not go crazier during that year-long wait yeah absolutely like i wasn't gonna just oh i got a mosey record let me just sit on the couch for the next year like no nah. like i was gonna keep making beats so i just kept doing that i also had like bills to pay and whatnot and i was just trying to stack bread so i just kept selling beats so yeah like i would encourage anyone like no matter what's happening with like Maybe labels are hitting you up and there's a lot going on. Just keep making beats and keep posting them. Just keep posting content and you'll be cool. 
All right, we have a bunch of questions coming in. I'm trying to consolidate them all. These are um, some pretty good questions. Uh, I think a lot of these are for Will, so let me I just kind of interrogate Callan. I'm going to interrogate Will now. Um, someone wanted to know, is actually, this is for both of you, is the publishing advance recoupable from the publishing deal? Yeah. Well, you want yes. to talk on this one? Yeah, you got it. So, so that basically means an advance is is basically an interest-free loan. So, when so when you're paid that lump sum of money, you recoup it based on our collection of your mechanical and performance royalties. So, really, I mean, it's it's important to to keep in mind, like if you if you're looking over a publishing advance, like. We're, we're, our interests are really completely aligned in, in, in making it happen for you. You know, it's, it's, it's very like, in addition to having a great creative relationship and pushing, pushing culture and songs forward, um, as far as your, your own personal financial well-being goes, like, yes, the, you know, everybody, everybody is aligned and wants to work together to make it happen. I want to I want to get back to more of the the the, the deeper um, publishing deal specifics, but I think this is a really sure. good question. Uh, and his question is: Will mentioned that every time a song comes out, we can throw it into BeatStars, Sony ATV Publishing. Does this apply to Beats as well, or only full songs? Full songs, full songs. So your ca- the catalog of of beats that are sold, and then. Um, recorded on or stuff that even even if it did, didn't come through a license and you want to and you know you're working with with a friend that recorded with you in person and uh, you put it up on Spotify and put it through BeatStars distribution that that should be registered as well it's basically all the songs that you that are generated by your license and then any songs that you create i think a, a lot of producers have in their heads that they need to register either with a publisher or with their PRO every single beat they make in order to collect publishing royalties from songs made with that beat. Is that true? That that's not, um, you you know, that's, I think, I think something that when, when you have a beat that's, that's created and, you know, the beauty of it is like, there, there's some like real classics. I mean, like, like real classic beats that have been recorded over 10, you know, 10 years apart, for example, or like, you know, beats that are like just become a part of the canon that people continuously add verses to and stuff like that. And I think the great thing about publishing is that beat is, is the core of, of each song. So if, so if you license the same beat, like five, five times and five songs are created you know, register all five songs. The, those, those, the, the sum of the parts are, are add up to the same thing for, you know, for, for you guys. And I think it's, it's really important to, um, to that, for that reason, to keep track of what's, what's created off of your beat. Um, but also, you know, making sure, um, making sure that, that your admin is, is super tight and uh, that going forward, you can continue to um, know what your catalog looks like. 
This is a great question that was just asked because I think we're getting into you know more like financial literacy, um, or or they might just be asking if Callan went on and bought a chain with his advance. But what is the publishing advance meant to be used for? Uh, I, I guess that's kind of a subjective question, but I'd like to hear you know your opinion on that and Callan's opinion on that too, as someone who received an advance. I mean. Honestly, like, you could blow the bag. I wouldn't recommend doing that, though. Like, you'll have fun. Like, you'll have jewelry. You'll have clothes. But I would recommend, like, what I'm doing so far, I've spent some money on jewelry. I've spent some money on clothes. But for the most part, I'm trying to save a lot of that and put that aside just so that I have a cushion to write on. Like, in case anything goes south, you know, I got a cushion of money that I can save. You know, I could invest it. I can make my money make more money for me. So that's honestly the smartest thing to do, and I would recommend doing that. Don't spend too much. Don't splurge at all. Just don't do that. Right. Right. And Callan, I mean, some of that advance also went to like, like, I guess like, per, like personally you started the year in someplace else and, and moved another place. Like you want to go into, into that part of, of investing in yourself and growing your career. Yeah, sure. Okay. So yeah. So I was living in Seattle. Didn't really have a studio over there. Didn't really have a lot of freedom to create didn't really have like a way to get into real studios and like meet artists. So basically with my publishing advance, the first thing I did was get myself an apartment, you know, get myself some furniture, just basic stuff like that. Like get myself out to LA in a place where I can better succeed. And that's honestly the first thing you should probably do if you get a deal is like put yourself in like in the most ideal location and situation you can with the money. So, uh, back to, um, publishing deals in general. So publishing deals and you compared it yourself to a record label, um, or or, sorry, a recording contract, uh, will, but whereas record deals usually have an album obligation, like a three album deal or a four album deal, what kind of obligations do publishing deals come with? Um, so it's 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 changed a little bit over time. Um, there used to be something called an MDRC, which is called a minimum delivery commitment or release commitment. So um, that's where the R comes in. Um, but that that would basically be you know moving through your term with a publisher by the amount of releases that you that you got. Um, now that there's a lot more um, focus on a term deal in in by amount of years. Um, so, you know, whether, whether that's tied to an advance, um, you know, if you're, you know, this advance Garrett, you know, makes your term this long, or if it's an admin agreement, um, like the one, like the offering with beat stars, you know, that's a year, that's a year of collection. So like you said, so you sign up today, today, um, the August, August 6th, um, what you're, until next August, um, BeatStars and Sony will go and collect all of the publishing royalties that are generated during that time, and that and I think that and I think what's what's great about um, the the publishing business on that in that sense is like it's it's evolved to best serve how music's released today. You know, I think uh, I think nobody that for MDRCs. A lot of them were tied to like major labels and stuff. Like there are so many players now, you know, there's, there, there's, 
um, AWOL, there's Caroline, there's Empire, there's BeatStars distrib- distribution. Like, uh, like all of these songs have so much potential to be amazing earners. So I think, I think that, um, that the current term of, of time-based deals are super, um, important and friendly to making it, to making it work for the writer and how music's released. Let me ask you this then, because we had a, a big talk about content ID systems in, in the last session. And I guarantee you, Callan, you've been going through the same thing, just getting all these copyright claims and stuff and, and dealing with content ID when you, when you license beats online and all of these systems that are in place in the music business really are not accommodating of the new model of how music is made, which is largely from beat leasing. I mean, for God's sakes, we have Old Town Road, the, the you know, the highest, one of the highest grossing songs in the last decade or two. And it was, it started on as a BeatStars license. So it doesn't seem as though the music industry as a whole is rushing to catch up with the times however sony atv is because they have a partnership with BeatStars, which is not only totally new but it's also really forward thinking um how, how do you think the industry needs to change to really catch up to the the, the way that music and technology are, are meshing together to create the contemporary landscape of the music business. I think uh, that's a good, that's a really good question. You know, um, I think that the, that's something that has, that has to be um, the, the focus going forward is rewarding, um, especially independent creators. Um, there's a lot of infrastructure set up for, for people that, you know, for major recording artists. And, you know, I think everybody aspires to that, to have, you know, to have a marketing team and to have a budget to do whatever you want to do. But really a lot of glory and a lot of great creation is happening on the independent level. And I, it's, it's a really important thing for, for the wider music business. And I, and I definitely feel like we've, like we've taken a big step with Sony TV and BeatStars is like, rewarding that independent hustler that like that's making 10 beats, you know, a a week and uploading them and marketing them and finding homes for them. So, so you can, so you're, you're on it. So, so you can make the most out of every opportunity and even the ones that you don't know about, like, you know, when, when Callan's song leaked, like, like the realization that this was, that this was a big thing coming for him. Like it's, it's important that um, people know that there's a huge, um, that there's huge potential and um, the ability, the, the infrastructure to be able to do something about it. It's really important. Who, who at, um, at Sony ATV was, was watching Callan on the internet? Cause obviously I don't want to make it sound creepy, but someone, someone was watching him. Someone was researching him. Someone's just sitting there rubbing their palms together, right? Saying, okay, okay. We're up another hundred thousand streams. We got, you know what I mean? So, so whose job was it? Were you a part of that? Yeah. I mean, Callan, you know, I think, uh, you want to tell tell everybody who slid into DMS over, uh, over the holiday break. <laughs> Yeah, Will Will was the first person to tap in with me. Like, first person. Maybe there's someone else I'm forgetting about. I apologize in advance. But from my memory, it was Will. Will hit me like, 
when, like December? Something like that? Heat of the NBA season because you talked about basketball. Right, right. Yeah, okay, that was before the coronavirus and all that. Yeah. So, yeah, no, Will was the first person. So that's also partially why I went with Sony, too, is because him and I were building a connection from early on. How uh, often, we're getting a bunch of questions now, how how often does Sony ATV pay out royalties? What, what's the schedule like? Um, oh, man, that, this, this is another fun thing to talk about because it, we're doing something that no one else is doing right now, which is there's real-time foreign accounting. So as soon as we get paid by, you know, by the DSPs, the DSPs meaning Apple, Spotify, YouTube, and also the PROs, ASCAP, BMI, CSAC, GMR, that goes into your account with Sony ATV. And now what, what Sony ATV does is we can, you can cash out those royalties. So immediately. And I think that's going to be huge. Um, you know, for you guys, like, like I'm, I'm speaking to the audience, like I can see him, but like all of you are, are used to getting that, that license fee right to your PayPal. And that's, that's really what publishing needs to be, needs to become, um, especially with, with how we're doing it, uh, together. So, um, is, so as soon as we collect it, you're able to access it. It's not a twice a year thing. It's, it's accessible the moment we collect it. Another question in the chat, speaking of accessibility of, of royalties, what happens when, say, you, you find out that a song that came out you know, a year or two ago has been collecting royalties, but you haven't gotten any of them? How far back can you collect those through Sony? Um, the, the time frames really, you have about three years to really go back and, and collect that. It's in the U.S. It's pretty forgiving. Um, Ex-U.S., um, with foreign records, uh, it's, there are some differences and it's a little less forgiving, to be honest. Um, unclaimed royalties go into, in, into a black box and are redistributed, um, as lump sum. So it's really important to be on your stuff. Like, yes, you have a little more time with, with royalties in the U S but that doesn't mean that, that you should wait for, wait for three years to get it done. Yeah, so here's another question then. In order to make sure that you're getting paid as much as you can and as promptly as you can, what is some of the information that you need to register these titles? You need the songwriter names and your percentages. So, it, you know, so for example, like it, when, when we registered um, Blueberry Fago to continue with Callan's example, like I can't register the song Callan Wong and Lil Mosey. You know, I have to figure out what Lil Mosey's name is. So I, so I can go in and, you know, Callan Wong. And then I look up Lil Mosey's name. Um, and then I, and I can register it then. And I think like, honestly, that's probably the hard, that's one of the bigger challenges, right? Like you might know somebody's artist name, but you might not know somebody's birth name. And, it, you know, honestly, it's not the worst thing in the world to have to make that reach out because, you know, w- one, it gets you talking. Like if, if you, if you see a beat of yours has been cut by 
by a new artist, you can say, Hey, what's, Hey man, what's your, what's your birth name? I'm registering this song so we can collect on the publishing. And by the way, I have a, bu- a bunch more beats you should listen to. Um, so I think, so I think that's, you know, the communications key. Um, and also to go on to the splits, split side of things like, you know, the a song is a hundred percent pie and you have a slice of it in, in some way, shape or form. Again, if you compose the whole beat yourself, uh, you know, you're entitled to 50% of that song. If you did, if you did the beat with somebody else, it might be splitting that 50 into two quarters of the overall hundred percent pie. Um, but it's just really important to lock that down. And if, and that's, that's where eventually managers, um, attorneys and publishers are super helpful. But if, if it's just you, like, just know that you, that if it's your track, like ask for get the 50, get, get, get the beat that, that you composed all, all registered for. So then here's a, here's a great question also from the chat. What if you collaborated on a track, whether it's with a rapper, whether it's with a producer, whether it's two producers and a rapper, whoever, and your collaborators aren't signed up to a PRO or a publisher, can you still collect your royalties even if they can't? Yes. Yes, absolutely. Um, and I think, I think that's, that's something like, you know, even when you're registering your song, you know, it's, it's really, it's helpful to know their, their PRO information and their publisher, but you know, that's on them to go claim their piece. Like it's like, as long as, as long as you have their name and get their percentage, right. That's all you need to register the song and get rolling with your collection. What if you don't know their name? Is there still a way to collect? Um, I, I, I think my, my admin, my admin team in Nashville would, um, you know, they, they would say, um, that absolutely you have, you have to do everything you can to find that name. Um, there, there are always, there are situations where, where people are ghosts, you know, they were there one day, the next, and, you know, there are ways to dig super deep and try to, and, and try to, um, register that copyright without somebody, without somebody's, um, you know, without getting their legal name. Um, but that is like, that's, that's really not a, a possibility, um, at, you know, at, at the, at that, that level, you know, it's, it's really important that you get their legal names. It's absolutely important. Here's a question also coming in. I don't, I don't, I'm just going to ask it. This is from strokes on the keys. He says, how often do you see a major label trying to take a producer's publishing? Um, to take their publishing, uh, the ownership. Um, I don't, I don't see it with major labels. Major labels aren't, are very ethical companies, um, by nature of being as public and front facing as they are. They have a lot, they have a lot of artists. They have a lot of releases. It's super important for them to conduct good business, but there are, there are like, there are people in the shadows that, that are trying to do that, you know, that will go out and, um, try to buy up people's publishing and, 
Yeah, I mean, over time, I've I've seen some unfortunate examples just by being in the industry for the for the past five years. But, I th- but um, that's that's also you know, I would say number one, like okay, uh, there's there's a there are companies that buy catalogs of publishing, and you see the headlines of them and like Billboard and stuff like that, and that, those are millions of dollars. Like if somebody's offering you you know, anything, you know, a lump sum to buy your publishing, don't sell it. Don't do that. You know, that's your, that's your money. Like don't, don't sell yourself short. Um, so I, so I think that's, that's super important. And knowing what, 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 um, knowing what that looks like, if somebody says, you know, I'm, if you look at the fine terms and it's somebody that says, I'm going to own this, you know, if somebody's buying this, for this work outright that's not that's not cool like that's your intellectual property and your creation so make sure you hold on to that it's super important seriously thanks for that question because that's important yeah and i've i don't know i've of all the placements i've gotten with a major label i can give you a million and one complaints but them trying to buy my publishing was was never one of them um Switching gears, though, uh, I see Callan yawning, so let me ask him some questions that will wake him up. Uh, your recent hit with Lil Mosey, um, Blueberry Fago, contained a pretty prominent Johnny Gill sample. And I believe, didn't Johnny Gill co-sign the record? Didn't he say he liked how it sounded? Yeah. Which is crazy, because you almost like- never hear that from the person that you sampled. So it's like, that must have really been a really encouraging moment, right? Definitely, not super inspiring. So, given that he already likes the song, what was what was the clearance process like? Like, when did it happen? Um, what did you have to deal with, if anything? Who handled the clearance? How did it affect your splits? I know I'm asking you a ton of questions, but yeah, I'm curious. Uh, man, where to start? Honestly, it was a headache. Like, from my perspective. I didn't even think the sample could get cleared at first because that's what I was hearing was like, oh, this record's way too big. Like, it can't get cleared. That's what I heard at first. So I was thinking, okay, well, this song's never going to drop. Or if it does drop, I'm going to get, like, a terrible percentage. But, like, you know, as time passed and, like, you know, the conversations kept happening, it sounded like that song had been sampled before by other big artists. So that came into the picture. And then the odds of it dropping just continued to look better from that. And event, I don't know if Johnny Gill heard the song before we cleared the sample or, or like what the deal was with that, but it ended up clearing it, ended up working out. So like, I didn't really know all the details, like from my perspective, cause like my team was handling that for me, but yeah, no, that's, that's pretty much it. When you say your team was handling that, who, who are you referring to? Who's a part of that team? Uh, my manager, Jordan, uh, my manager, Dylan, Will, uh, other people at Sony, really, like, there was probably at least five or six people handling that, and everyone was kind of panicking, making phone calls all day long. Like, it was it was hectic. It was crazy for about two or three months. None of us really knew what was happening, but eventually we were chipping away at the rock, and it, it, it worked out. Oh, pain one My bad. Here, here I'm My bad. Will, from your from your angle, what was going on? Um, 
during that whole process of sample clearing, you were in contact with Lil Mosey's label, Johnny Gills. But I mean, who, whose responsibility was it to figure all that out? So that so that was actually, I mean, it's it's a shared responsibility amongst the the writers, the publishers of 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 my my my, and and Interscope. If Interscope wants to put out the song, um, which they did, they have to go to um, the the publishers and and come up with a sort of a plan for clearance. Um, and from my perspective, on the pu- on the publishing side. I think that's it's 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 very important because when you're when you're sampling something, you're embracing you're bringing those people on as co-writers of your song. Like like what Cal, what Callan did when he when he sampled um, Babyface and um, and uh, the the writers of that song is he brought them into it, you know. And I think and that's some people love to be sampled, and clearly this is a case where like John, Johnny Gill, Babyface, they 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 fully embrace the song that also being a further example with old town road, like the, the guitar piece was a nine inch nails sample. And that, that was great for them. That's great for the, for nine inch nails and Trent Reznor and, and Atticus. Um, so I think it's also important to keep in mind that not everybody is, is keen on, on being sampled. Um, and as Callan and I work together over time, you know, those were, we expect those challenges too. If, if Callan is, you know, is cooking up one day and, um, puts a, puts a sample in there that, that we love. But then when we go to clear it, you know, the writers can say no. And that's, that's something you have to be prepared for. Um, so on, on our end in that, in that, um, whole discussion, obviously everybody wants the song to come out, especially if it's as great as it is. Um, the, it, it's really an important part of making that, um, making sure every, but all of the parties are coming to the table and negotiating and figuring it out. And we have a department for that, by the way, at Sony ATV. Um, we have a great, uh, industry leader by the name of Dag Sandsmark, who's incredible, um, at, at making sure that, um, those things have, a, ha, are fairly discussed and pursued. How how does that affect a producer's um, publishing when when they sample? Usually, I mean, I'm sure it varies, but in, in this case, somehow you were able to negotiate where Callan maintained ownership. Yeah, uh, it's uh, ba- basically you know it, it starts it's a, a song starts with can start with one person and then just go up from there, right? And when when you're sampling, like like I said, you're pulling in people as a co as a co-writer of the song, so then they have they have some publishing on it too, and you know it, it works ends up working out for everybody, um, because and when a when a song comes out and it's generating um, tons of you know tens of millions of streams, um, it's it's super it's everybody's happy everybody's winning so that's the case. And I forget, um, was Sony ATV involved in, in Old Town Road at all? Um, Lil Nas X is Sony ATV writer. Okay. Um, the clearance, the clearance of that, um, uh, of that sample and of, the, and of that beat 
um, really came pretty immediately, and that was that would have been um, initiated and handled by um, Columbia Records, who's Lil Nas X's label. Yeah, and it's funny because there was so much false news and false reporting surrounding that situation where you were hearing they got sued. Um, you know, young Keo got his percentage uh, taken away. Just all kinds of craziness that clearly wasn't true. I'm, and, and also that, you know, that it was an un- uncleared sample and all this other stuff. It clearly wasn't uncleared. Um, as you said, Columbia handled it pretty promptly. And it seemed as though it was handled amicably. Is that an exceptional case or is that pretty much the norm? I'd, I'd say, you know, that's a, that's a good question. And I, f- I feel like probably se- um, somebody that's on the clearance side of a label department of, of a label would probably be able to say, to give a complete um, full answer on that. But in my, in my experience, I think, like if a song if a song is out and it's and it's doing good things and it wasn't and it was um, you know a little bit more of a um, if you catch it at the right time you know if you if you want to pursue clear if you actively try to pursue clearance usually there's some goodwill that goes back and forth if you try to dodge it and you try to you know try to stay under the radar and you know be unreachable reachable when somebody reaches out to you about clearing this clearing the sample like all that stuff then it's never going to work out for you you know it, when you i think when you when you when you sample something and it's a key part of the song acknowledging it and appreciating it and respecting that that uh writer is, is super key to getting something cleared and if that's the case, I feel like things work out more often than not. What is what's in your experience? What's the right time? Uh, man, if you if there's a song out there like and it's and you and you sample somebody and you know you did, reach out right away. I mean, they're they're like if you you can go on um, BMI repertoire or ASCAP repertoire, look up the song that you sampled, can usually find out who all the writers are. And then if you, if you look below, you can see their, their publishers. Um, and that's what we talked about I get, um, earlier on, whether, you know, where it says writers and where it says publishers, if you reach out and, and like, at least do it for, you know, do it for your, for your own form, formality and keeping your business straight, um, do it right away, you know, make, make, make it happen. So steering away a little bit from um, the the publishing topic, um, Callan, in your genius video, the, the um, deconstructed, you mentioned that you started off making trash beats. How did you change your process to start achieving the sound that it, that you actually wanted to make? You know, the sound that was in your head. Honestly, well, I think the reason why I was making trash to start is because I was just copying people. Like, I didn't really know how to make beats. I didn't know the software. So I was just watching, like, I'm sure everyone did this at one point, but I was just watching, like, Metro Boomin and, like, Southside Cookups. And so I started doing that type of thing, but it wasn't actually, like, the kind of music I like to make. So eventually I realized that, 
And I kind of just stopped overthinking the process and just started flowing and just doing stuff that I liked. And eventually it started to come together and I started to actually like enjoy what I was making versus before I was trying to like imitate and fit into what I thought was like a good beat instead of just making what I found naturally to be fire. So once I started doing that, that completely changed like the outcome for me. Like my numbers started going up, like people started hitting me up more, saying my sound was different. And so that, that's what I would recommend to everybody is just stop overthinking it, just start cooking. Like just lay something down, try not to like think of, oh, it's this type beat or it's that type beat. Just try to make something that you genuinely find fire. What is your musical background? When I, when I saw that video, you were identifying chord structure, and um, it seemed like you had a musical background. What, what was, what's your musical background? Yeah, so I played both drums and piano. Like, my parents had me on, on the keys since I was, like, five or six years old. And then, like, probably once I was in maybe fifth grade, I started playing drums. And then I, I, I was doing, like, jazz, like, marching band. Like, literally any opportunity I could to play live music and perform and, like, be around music, I took all throughout high school. So that's kind of, I feel like that's kind of what gave me like the ability to do what I'm doing now is that I had all of that experience before listening to music. And so like, since I, I like jazz and R&B a lot, I've sort of taken that background of playing piano and drums and kind of mixed that into the beats for more of like a live authentic sound. So that's kind of my thing right now. And what led you to all of this old school R&B? Um, some of it was like records my parents would play. Some of it was friends putting me on to different music. A lot of it though was just me looking on YouTube and just listening to music. And I kind of just developed an ear for that, that taste, like old R&B stuff. I listened to all kinds of jazz. Like I've listened to pretty much all the John Coltrane stuff. Like I really did like digging. Like I really went back and like researched a lot of American music and its history and kind of just went down the lineage. And if you think about how like hip-hop started from jazz and whatnot it only makes sense to research that stuff to see where music's at today so that's kind of how i thought about it what would your recommendation be to a for a producer right now who's making music you know a lot of people are trying to split their time between placements and between building up their brands on the internet and they're not really sure where to where to go you're doing both what what kind of advice do you give a producer who's still in that position where they're questioning their direction? Well, I think, I don't know if it's an either or. I think if you make a lot of good beats, like those beats could either land, like, you know, you might get lucky, get a major placement without a deal. Like that's totally possible if the beats fire. You never know who's going to hop on it. Or you could just make, you know, some quick cash on BeatStars with it if you want to. But I think the point is just make, Make quality over quantity, in my opinion. Like, don't worry too much about, oh, I got to make 20 beats a day. I got to make 50 beats a day. Like, do whatever works for you. If you can only make three fire beats a day, perfect. Call it a day. Like, don't force out 10 beats that are all mid because you're just going to exhaust yourself. Like, it's you're, you're working inefficiently. So that's probably the number one advice I'd have is, like, regardless if you're shooting for major placements or just beat sales or whatever, just be efficient with your time and, like, know your limits. Know that... If you can only work for a couple hours and make a couple beats and you're going to be tired, like, just don't force it. That's my number one thing It's just when I, if, even if I'm like, let's say I have an off day and I don't even feel like making beats, I won't make beats. Like no one, no one can tell me when or when to not make beats. I'll do it when I want to. What is 
on the on the uh, on the schedule for you, Kellen? What's coming out in the future? What are you excited about right now? Working on? So I got I got some stuff with Mike Sherm, Blueface coming out. I'm excited about that song. Co-produced by my homie Kenny. Shout out to him. Um, you know, I got some stuff with Tekka that might get released. I'm probably gonna lock in with him. Uh, I'm really just trying to work with everybody right now. I'm trying to tap in more to the LA scene and like work with underground artists here because I feel like that that LA sound is, is it's already going up. You know, with Blueface and whatnot. It's kind of what I do incorporates that sound as well. So yeah, just networking with like both bigger artists and underground artists too. People that I see have the potential to pop off. When I don't know if I asked you this already. What was the moment when you were able to just work on music full time and just focus on music full time? And how did how did that transition change your career? So, honestly, for me, like the last couple of years were kind of rough for like because I was trying to be in college and focus on that at the same time as making beats. And, like, for me, like, I'm not saying drop out of school, but for me, that just personally didn't work at all. Like, I couldn't divide my attention equally between both things and be successful at both. I ended up, like, failing some classes, not doing too well in school. And so, luckily, I had made enough money off BeatStars at that point where I could drop out of school and afford a place to live and kind of pay bills and just get by. And so that, that's what I was doing. I dropped out of school and just focused on beats, like, purely focused on beats and, like, right around that time is when I, I was fortunate enough to land the Mosey record. And then at that point, I, was, I wasn't I was really, you know, I wasn't too worried anymore about what was going to happen. I thought everything was going to be cool. So, yeah, whatever works for you. If you can be in school and be successful and do both, if you're around my age, I'm 22, like, do that. But if you can't, like, school is not for everybody. That's, that's a whole controversial subject, though. I'm not even trying to get into that. I'll just leave it at that. Well, here's another controversial subject then, so you can't escape these these tough questions. Um, there's this whole debate going on in the chat about how many beats someone should make a day or a week or whatever, and there are some people in here who are hearing you say three beats a day. Oh my God, I, how, you know, and that's like that was your your um, your low number. I I loved that. I'm asking you these questions, and someone's not asking me these questions. Um, so people are asking how many beats are you making a day. I don't, I'm not going to do that disservice to you and ask you that question. I know that's a question that no one wants to answer, but I will ask you, um, how did you get to the point where you're able to, to streamline your process and increase your output, but still create quality, uh, music? I think for me, it was just a matter of making a lot of beats and like being really honest with myself about which ones have potential to go somewhere and which ones are just kind of mid. And, like, I'm just, like, more aware now of my mental state when I'm making beats. Like, if I'm, like, let's say I wake up in the morning, I feel fresh, I'm ready to do something creative. That's when I work best is in the morning for me. So it's really just a matter of, matter of trial and error and finding out when you're most efficient during the day, you know, like, what days of the week you're most, it, I mean, it really goes down. There's so many details to it, but you just got to find what works best for you. And, like, I'm not, like, to clarify the three beats a day thing, like, I'm saying that's a low I might not even make a beats at all during a whole week. I might take a whole week off beats. I'm not saying that's the best productive thing to do. But, again, the way I see it is one fire beat, like one smash, is better than ten, like, so-so beats. Because you, you just want to make quality. It doesn't matter how many beats you have. If you have, like, 
the most next level shit that no one's ever heard before. It doesn't matter if this dude over here has 500 fire beats if they sound like everybody else. So that's that's how I see it. That's my opinion. Here's a here's a question for Will. What would you say is the biggest misunderstanding or misconception about publishing? Um, I think the biggest misunderstanding is, uh, I think, I think the biggest one is that you're, that you're giving, giving something away. Um, when you're, when you're a published songwriter, you know, yes, of course you, you take an, you, you may take an advance, um, you may just choose, may just collect on all of the songs that are out there, but publishing is really, you know, it's, it's your intellectual property. It's yours. You know, you're, it's, it's not a giveaway. It's not a catalog sale. Those are very different things. Being a published record, uh, being a published songwriter or producer and selling your catalog are two very different things. So I would say as, as you're starting, starting to consider, um, what publishing looks like for you. Um, I think it's, it's super important to remember that, that these are your, this is your, your copyrights and your song songwriting property that you've got to look out for. And when you take on a publishing partner, they've got to do the same. That, so that's, that's probably it. Here's an, here's a question right back to Callan um, that someone asked. Yeah. Uh, let me find it. Let me find it. It's a really good question. Um, okay, yeah. How how do you listen objectively to your own music? I don't know if you can listen objectively. I don't know if that's the right word because music is kind of subjective, honestly. So you can't objectively know whether or not something you make is fire, but you can be pretty sure. You can be like 99% sure it's fire, you know? You can't know for a fact that some artist is going to hop on it, but you can have a good sense of it. And like the way, like for me, I just keep listening to music. I try to find fresh music every day. Like I listen to a lot of music. So for me that like, and I see which records, you know, in the past have been hits and like that helps me kind of determine, all right, like if I'm going for numbers, for example, I might make, you know, a pop beat or something like that. If I, if I'm trying to make something that just I like, I might not even put it out. Like I might just make some crazy extra beat and just keep it for myself. But it, it really depends like on the type of beat you're making. But I would just say like, you got to develop a workflow and like a know-how of when you're making, you're in your best zone. If you're out of it, you're tired, but you're trying to force out the beats. Like you should at that point probably know that the beats are not going to be the best beats you can make because you're tired. Like you should be able to gauge that. So that's kind of what I meant about what I said earlier in like gauging your beats or like objectively knowing when it's fire. You can't know for a fact, but you can have a good sense. Here's a question on the screen. How much time would you say is good? Uh, That was confusing. How much time would you say is a good time to split between brand building, content, merch, and actual beats? again it really it depends like it depends on you and it depends on your workflow i would definitely split the time 
but I don't think a 50-50 split is necessarily the best. Like, people get the same results different ways. You can make, like, for me, I don't do a whole lot of networking. I don't DM a whole lot of people. For me, I was just making beats, solely just making beats and posting them. And for me, that worked in getting connections. But for someone else, like, I happen to, like, perhaps, like, the YouTube algorithm helped me or something, and I got lucky. Like, let's say that's the case. And, like, if I didn't network it, I wouldn't be where I'm at. In that case, you might have to network more and, like, contact people and really try to, you know, it's like push-pull marketing, basically. Like, you can push your product towards them, or you could try to pull them in and be a little bit more mysterious. And that's kind of the way I approach it is, like, I'm not super vocal on social media. I'm not posting all the time. I'm just posting purely music and just letting the music speak for itself. And I feel like that's kind of gathered me a fan base and gathered the respect. Here's a question for Will. Um, if you sign with Sony ATV, do you have access to sample other Sony, I'll, I'll say, quote, unquote, properties? Sorry, Will, you, you were muted. You were muted. Good, good, good. Um, the, the short answer to that is no. And I'll, I'll tell you what, no, that's also that's good for you as a creator because you know what, that no, nobody that signed any place has an automatic guarantee that they get to sample whatever, whatever they want or feel it. I'll tell you, it can, it can help it. You know, now you have a connection with, with the publisher, you know, you, you have the same people that you would go to, to negotiate for you. And just like anything, like if it's the same, if it's the same company, if it's the same ecosystem in the same place, um, that just makes the conversa- conversation a lot easier um, and more direct. But, um, you know, like the biggest artist in the world, like Drake, for example, if he samples something, he's got to get go get it cleared, just like, you know, just like an artist that's just starting out. Um, there, there's no blank slate, blank license for anybody. I don't know why. I just love this comment. It's not a question. I just wanted to post it. Um, on that note, I want to respect your time. We've already gone uh, a couple minutes over the uh, the scheduled end time. But thank you guys so much for, for sharing your expertise, for sharing your wisdom, for sharing your experience. Um, one more time, how do people find you on social media if they want to follow and, and keep up with you and, and uh, maybe possibly communicate with you? Yeah, so you can reach me at one Callen on Instagram, just the number one and then Callen. Follow me there. Uh, but honestly, if you're trying to contact me on some business related matter, hit my email. My email is callenbeats at gmail.com. Awesome. And for, and for me, um, my Instagram is at Willie Scal, W I L L Y S K A L. And I'm also on BeatStars. So, so follow me there too. Um, uh, that's a great way to connect. And it's as much a uh, social media platform for me as it is anything else. So, Appreciate everybody. Okay, I I have to address this question. Does Callan rap? Does, do I rap? Depend, it depends what you mean by rap. I out my own beat, but I'm not a rapper. Like, I'm not. I'm not going to record myself and try to put out music as a rapper. That's not going to happen. So sorry to burst everyone's bubble, but it's not happening. So that was that's pool marketing. Then that's an example of. Uh, being a little mysterious all right cool man once again thank you everybody beatstars.world is the place to check out everything that's going on at beatstars including the archives 
of uh, the recordings from today and from yesterday and from tomorrow as well, uh, in case you miss anything. Uh, there's a whole lot else going on on BeatStars.World. Definitely check it out if you're a member. Make the most of your experience here. Once again, thank you both for being a part of the BeatStar Summit 2020. Shout out to both of you. Shout out to everyone that tuned in and asked questions. Uh, appreciate it. I'm going to head out, and uh, we'll be back tomorrow for more of the BeatStar Summit. <laughs>